0: Hello everyone, it's John Honerstead, Bobby Darren, and Sean Brown today for the Scarlet Nation podcast. We're excited to talk to you this evening about Rutgers football and only Rutgers football. So I'm going to start it off here, welcoming the two of you and kicking it off. Bobby, talk to us. What's new in the world of Rutgers football?
1: Well, I mean, football's back this week. The uh, team is practicing, obviously, after the bye week and, you know, the big, talk is the quarterback competition who's going to start uh Chris Ash said today that you know he's not going to reveal it they, they know who's going to start but they're not going to give away any secrets and I can see his point in that but you know uh, early week practice reps were in favor of Gio Rosinio um Kyle Boland. obviously still getting some reps Jonathan Lewis is still going to play regardless uh who starts if he doesn't start if he isn't the guy Uh, So I think that's your big story. Fans have been clamoring for Gio for a while, and it looks like they might get their wish this week.
0: Now, I know you've mentioned a few times in the past few weeks that you thought Gio was somewhat buried there on the bench, given, I guess, what you'd seen in practice, the reps that he'd gotten and such, and the fact that it looked like Coach was looking more towards a youth movement behind Bolin. Does it surprise you that now Gio is front and center? It did, and you know why it surprised
1: me is because it seemed like they were reluctant to use him. Now all of a sudden... It might be geo time, and I think that has to do with the pressure of this game. Rutgers has to win this game. You know, there's not a whole lot of games left on the schedule where they're going to face opponents like this. It's going to get pretty tough when they play teams like Penn State and Michigan State. So this is a high pressure game for the team, regardless of what the coach will tell you. Coach Ash will say every game is a must win game, but I think he's starting to feel the pressure, and he really is going to give this team a. The chance to win with who he thinks is the best quarterback and right now that could
0: potentially be geo we had discussed this last week and it was a comment that one of our users made and they said if Rutgers has a plans to go with lewis in the future whether it's next year the year after that perhaps playing Bolin wasn't the best idea because they are such different styles uh require different personnel on the field different schemes where if you're going to ultimately go to Lewis down the line, perhaps playing Rashigno this year would be a better idea just to smooth out that transition. What do you think?
1: I think that it sounds great, and it. but I don't think that was what the coaching staff had envisioned early on. I think the staff thought that Bolin could get them through with a little more productivity to this point. Uh, it didn't work out that way, so looking back, you say, well, maybe they didn't make the right decision, but I, I think their vision was to that Bolin would be good enough to – you know get them to a couple wins to this point and and then maybe they could start to work uh, Jonathan Lewis in more but you know he he hasn't been stellar but again he hasn't been helped out by the best offensive line the receivers have struggled this year so it's been a group effort in those losses but you know quarterback is always the great equalizer and when you have a guy who can make those plays it it just makes a world of difference and uh, sorry to say up to this point Bolin just hasn't been able to do that.
0: Well, talking about quarterbacks who can make plays, one of those is 2019 Barringer quarterback Zamar Wise. Sean, we brought you on here today because you are a recruiting guru, very familiar with the landscape in not only New Jersey, but the entire Northeast. And you also went out to see Zamar recently play. So talk to us. Tell us what you saw.
2: Um, so I saw Zamar uh, this past Saturday. They played uh, at Orange. Um orange's uh, bell stadium uh, orange features uh, 2019 four-star Nike hawkins who had a, a strong game uh, for the tornadoes but uh, zamar was just a tough go at it against orange they uh barringer was shut out 19 nothing um you know it was it was difficult uh for the barringer receivers to get open and you know zamar i think i had him at six of 17 or six of 14 um in terms of his passing line for 91 yards but um like i, I mentioned before on the board uh the stat line doesn't really tell the story of you know how well I thought he played he didn't really force too many passes um there are a lot of times where he probably could have just thrown one to the coverage and and saw it could have happened but he went through progressions and he saw that it wasn't there he couldn't run then he would just dump it out of bounds and make the safe play um you know throw it out of the defensive back's reach if possible he had he had two interceptions um I would say one was a little bit of a you know not an ideal throw. It was a fifty-fifty ball downfield to his brother's, a two thousand twenty-one prospect, Corey Walker. Uh, the defensive back made a great play on the ball to intercept it on a fade route. Uh, but other than that, you know, I, I thought he played with with great patience. Um, you know, he didn't seem like he played under pressure, or you know, he wasn't really rattled by a lot of the pressure he he got from Orange. And if if the fans get a chance to see the highlight tape, there's actually one of the clips um, from that game. It was a, a free rusher that got in there from Orange and. Uh, Zamar kind of zigged and zagged his way uh, in the pocket, you know, from the grasp of the defender, and then was able to, to dump it off and find the running back in the flat for a positive yardage. And that's just like ever talking to the kid; he's really just a cool, quiet kid, and, and his demeanor is conveyed on the way he plays on the
0: field. If you were to compare him to a Rutgers quarterback, uh, present or past, or perhaps a another quarterback playing college football, who would you compare him to?
2: Um, I know I know Rutgers fans aren 't going to like this name when, when I say it, but uh Teddy Bridgewater is uh, i think the player that he reminds me of in that um You know, both guys are athletic. They can run the ball if they want to, uh, but Zamar's preference, just like Bridgewater, he's more of a pocket passer. He likes to to beat you downfield, but if opportunity uh, brings itself up, uh, he will run and get positive yardage. And uh, Zamar, there were a few times he probably could have took off and run, but he was patient, waited to see, go through his progressions before he took off downfield. Bridgewater uh, is is very similar in that manner.
0: Well, we're going to, capitalize on your recruiting knowledge as well as Bobby's knowledge of the team and of course Bobby follows recruiting too I read an article today that I really enjoyed it was an article by Keith Sargent over at NJ.com it was called Closer Look at the Reason Why Ruckers is Lacking Depth at So Many Key Positions it's a topic that we have discussed on the ScarletNation.com roundtable over and over and over again Uh, some of our users and even you know Bobby you've done some looks at the various recruiting classes how they've panned out or not panned out keith's piece here i thought was pretty clear in how he just went class by class starting with 2013 talked about the players contributing those out due to injury for the season those with used up eligibility those who transferred and left the program those who graduated early and those dismissed and then he had a little bit of commentary i then this evening went by because i said hey how does this compare to other teams? And that's a question some fans have asked on the board. It sounds like Rutgers has been decimated their recruiting classes, you know, in terms of people just leaving and not panning out, but how does that compare to another program? So I compared it to Wisconsin because Wisconsin, although being a top 10 team is not known for top, top recruiting classes. So they do a lot with the players that they have often have recruiting classes that are somewhat in the vicinity rankings wise as Rutgers. So with that said, we're just going to start off. Bobby, first up, you read the article too. You've done a lot of writing and talking about this topic. What are your overall impressions?
1: Uh, you know, first, it basically comes down to Kyle Flood's inability to identify talent and keep players committed. One of the things that wasn't on there was. Um, the guys who got away you know he had a lot of commitments early and guys that just didn 't stay true and left and decommitted for whatever reason he also left off the incarcerated guys but we won 't get into that um, that 's another story in itself so um, I just think it comes down to a matter of evaluating talent um, it, it's just you know you look up down at, at uh, the class of two thousand and fourteen and you know twenty six commits and there's you know four or five starters from this year 's class uh, consistent starters there might be four. Um, You know, out of 26, that's a lot. You you go down the list of guys who aren't even with the team anymore. Sam Blue, Darian Daly, um, you know, Dre Boggs, uh, Jacob Kraut, Donald Bedell. You know, these guys just never panned out. And then you have guys that that really, you know, Cam Lott is another one on there. Jakeese Webb. I mean, the list goes on and on. These are guys that, you know, only had a couple other offers, and some didn't have any Power 5 offers. And I think you're seeing why. It was just the inability to bring in Big Ten players.
0: When I looked at this and I compared Wisconsin to Rutgers, I immediately thought that it was going to be a wipeout in terms of the players who were contributing. If you asked me, when you look at the 2013 class, how they're doing now, the 2014 class, 2015, the groups that would be upperclassmen, I thought you'd see twice the amount of players contributing. That wasn't necessarily the case, although we're going to circle back to what you said because I think although Rutgers might have guys contributing, they're not contributing at a high level and maybe not even starting. But we'll start with that 2013 class. Wisconsin has six players who are contributing right now. Rutgers has five. With Rutgers, you have Grant, Joseph, Miller, Nash, and terre um, You know, not not a huge difference. You move down to the 2014 class, and I know I brought that on up to you on air before, and I said Wisconsin 11, Rutgers 13, but you had something to say to that. What, what what were your thoughts on that?
1: You know, you have to look at the quality of players. I mean, somebody has to start, right, uh, who you're bringing in. And also I think something that gets overlooked is the depth. When, when you build these classes, not everybody's going to be a starter. But you go back to that 2013 class and, you know, you have a Dante Ayers on there, a, a T.J. Taylor um, you know, guys. You know, Dante Harris could provide running back help in the future. Um, DJ Taylor could have provided linebacker. He he was hurt though, so I won't. Uh, you know, that knee injury kind of hurt him. You know, Taylor Marini, uh Josh Klecko on the D line, Nick Inter Nicola. I mean, these are guys who might not have been starters, but someone in their place who could have provided depth. You know, on the D-line, it could have prevented the team from getting gassed in the second half against Washington. So I I don't think you necessarily have to look at the star quality of the players as the serviceability of the
0: players. Also, when you look down that list in that 2014 class for Wisconsin, as I said before, there's only 11 people who are contributing, but seven of them are, from last year, they were on the All-Big East team, either first, second, third, honorable mention, but they were somewhere on that team. And obviously, Rutgers can't really claim any of that in in that class.
1: Yeah, and again it comes down to, you know, evaluating talent. And when you look at these kids, one of one of the neat things that we do when we go watch these games and I know Sean takes a very close look at it as well, you try and project how these kids are going to be 3, 4 years from now. That's why I like to watch games down on the field because I like to see what happens between the highlights, you know, between that big play, what kind of demeanor do they have? What kind of work ethic do they have? Um how is their rapport with their teammates? All of these things really have to go in to uh you know projecting how a kid's going to turn out and that's why i always harp on you know getting kids closer to home because you can get more familiarity with them in that sense whereas a kid out west you're not going to get that intimate knowledge of of what they're like as a player
0: right. moving on to that 2015 class wisconsin has 11 players contributing Rutgers 12 so at first glance you say all right not that big of a difference um uh, I guess that doesn't really tell the entire story there what do you think of that 2015 class
1: i mean you look at the names on there same thing again you know jack Shutek not here Najee clayton not here uh Sidney Gopri not here, Ronnie James not playing, Jarius Adams. It's the same same thing that, that you're seeing. There's a pattern there of guys that just didn't pan out. And I, I just think you have to chalk that up to the previous coaching staff's inability to evaluate talent, project talent in the future, and keep the talented guys who you actually had committed.
0: Right. And those Rutgers players who are contributing, some nice players there, but perhaps we're not looking at any um... – you know all big 10 players at first glance here when I'm looking down that list oh maybe one or two who have a have a shot here but uh, definitely not comparative to what you're seeing on the Wisconsin list where they'll have uh, gosh it's 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 a pretty impressive group there
1: yeah and I know Sean you saw some of the guys in these classes too would you say the same thing about the uh, you know the talent level what's kind of your take on that
2: yeah, I remember for that class on offensive line in particular, I and mean, it's, you know, going back to Shiano, the the camp setting is, is a hit or miss. Um, you know, obviously colleges want to see guys in person uh, and, and give their best evaluation on their turf. But, um, you know, Manny Taylor was a guy that hadn't played football up to that point, And, you know, they, they had him in camp. He had press in there. Um uh, Dante Owens was another guy uh, for Rennie P. A. No one really knew about. He, you know, he tore it up in camp and, and walked away with an offer. Uh, there were a lot of camp offers um, from this group. Um, even, you know, Trevor Morris was a guy. I know there were some other guys high on the board for Rutgers, and then he he came to camp and he ran, uh, I think, a four or five. Um, you know, for for Coach Fraser. Um, and you know, Deontay Roberts, another guy, came and did the solo workout. Uh, it's worked out for him, but you know, it, it's it's hit or miss is what I'm saying with the camp setting. And they took a lot of guys that, you know, it, it was kind of, you know, you're taking a chance and, you know, it's, it's worked out for some of them and it, it hasn't worked out for others.
0: When I look down these lists, it also shows me something we've talked about before that not all three stars are created equally because when you look down the Wisconsin roster, you see a lot of guys who were three-star players who really overachieved at the next level. Now, Rutgers has had their own, you know, list of players who have gone on even from two-star status to the NFL But when you are at the point in a program where you can churn out all Big Ten players consistently from that three-star range, you know that you're going to have a successful squad.
1: Yeah, and, you know, I think part of it now is keeping um, these kids together because it seems like another consistent tone is – or consistent theme, I'm sorry – is – keeping these kids committed who they get early now in the past I've contended that Ash you know did that intentionally committed early and tried to sell them on a vision of rebuilding but Sean what do they have to do now to keep these kids committed through this class even if the season gets a little ugly
2: I think especially on the offensive side to to show some progress um, you know show that you know, the pieces are there to have uh, an explosive offense uh, and just show some progress. So the defense is, you know, obviously the scores have been lopsided for some of the games, but the defense has played well in in stretches, Uh, you know, so defensively, uh, I don't think it'll take as much convincing for the committed prospects that side of the ball. But, you know, the guys like Ahmad Anderson uh, that you have coming, obviously, a guy like EJ Turner, uh, who decommitted recently, uh, you want to show that you know, this offense has potential to to be explosive and, you you know, you can spread people out and get some points on the board. I think that's the main thing is to show some, some more progress on the offensive side of the ball.
0: Now, obviously, Chris Ashes has one full recruiting class under his belt, has another one coming right now. What have you seen, Sean, in terms of signs that things are heading in the right direction that they'll be able to, put together the talent to rise up those ranks in the Big Ten?
2: In terms from a recruiting perspective or just the players they're bringing in?
0: Well, you know what? Let's look at it both any way you want to look at it.
2: I mean, recruiting perspective, they're definitely – they're putting in the effort, um, you know, that, and that's the main thing. Uh, you know, we always talk about the, the Jeff Halfley type of guy and having him on staff, um, and, you know, I think you guys would agree from what we know – they don't have anyone like that on the current staff, but where they are making up for it is, you know, uh, being proactive. Uh, you know, keeping in touch with the guys. There's been a, a lot more invested in resources. You know, one, one tidbit I haven't mentioned on the board, but I've noticed is that they actually have a, a new assistant uh, of uh, player personnel who's involved in recruiting. It's a gentleman. I believe his name is Jeff Jones, and he worked under Jerry Kill at Minnesota. Uh, he played at Jerry Kill, uh, played for Jerry Carroll at Southern Illinois, and then he worked under him, uh, head of recruiting at Minnesota. So that's you know another guy that you know knows the type of eye that he wants to bring in offensively, and, and they've hired more staffers, more resources to to you know keep in contact with these kids. So that they're, they're working harder on that end and investing more on that end. And then you know player wise, they're they're getting better athletes. You know guys like Amiah Anderson who could play both sides of the ball, um, uh, Zaire Lacewell, another guy who could play both sides of the ball. You know um, you know even the guy Jalen Chapman who we we talk highly about coming from California. so They're, they're getting better athletes in the program. Uh, you know getting guys that can help them in multiple places and especially on special teams
0: coming forward into this next game against illinois i know it's a big one for Rutgers. it's i guess you'd call it a must win bobby sean what do you think Rutgers has to do to come away with a win this week
1: I think they have to
0: establish the running
1: game. I think it just opens everything else up. You know, whoever's throwing the ball at quarterback is going to have an easier time if they can start grinding out some yards on the ground. And and Illinois has the worst rush defense in the Big Ten, so they should be able to expose it. I I know it's been kind of a Jekyll and Hyde uh, thing for the offensive line early on. It came out very good against Washington, and it kind of did a disappearing act in in the subsequent weeks. So I I really think that they have to establish the run and – this is going to be not the prettiest game. So I think the team that makes the fewest mistakes, turnover-wise, maybe some mental errors, is going to be the team that comes out on top. Sean, what do you think?
2: I would agree with Bobby on that. You know, this this offense is, you know, based on trying to establish the run uh, in hopes of opening up some play action so they, you know, Gus Edwards, Gus the bus, you know, hey, let get it going, uh, you know, Robert Martin, those guys, and then it'll make it easier for the guys outside. I know there's been some issues uh, with the receivers getting separation. So, you know, if the run game's going to play action, that's just an extra step that they'll hopefully have uh, on those defensive backs from Illinois. And like Bobby said also, cutting down those mistakes, less turnovers, and just playing as clean with a football game as possible.
0: All right, Bobby, you have a a guess on what the score is going to be? You know, I always like to do that with
1: our preview, but I'm thinking it's going to be a low-scoring contest. Uh, I, I don't think it's going to be, you know, uh, I think it's going to be a close game. I don't think it's going to be a blowout either way. I think you're going to see some some struggles offensively. Um, it's going to be, uh, I wouldn't actually call it a defensive chess match, but you know, I think it'll be on the lower lower scoring side of the game. And I, I said, you know, which, which team commits the fewest mistakes? I mean, throw up a coin, flip it, and there you could have your answer. Sean, prediction.
2: Uh, I'm going to go uh, 28-14 Rutgers on the road, uh, getting a W in the Big Ten.
0: And that would be an offensive explosion for the Scarlet Knights. <laughs> <laughs> what goes into What's the key to that one? I, I mean, Sean, are they going to score on the ground or in
1: the air? What's, what's kind of the prediction?
2: You know, I, th- I think they'll... I, I see one touchdown through the air. Um, you know, I don't know who to who to who. Obviously, Coven Bailey uh, has been someone they've targeted on, on fade routes. And, you know, he has that speed. He's a, he's a top-end guy speed. Uh, I think they'll definitely get one through the air. Uh, but like I said, you know, Jerry kills offenses. They, they want to establish that run game. They're not going to spread you out like Texas Tech and, and, and throw it every down. But, uh, you know, definitely it's, the ground game is the, the heart and soul of this team.
1: You know what, that brings up an interesting point, John. I wanted to talk to uh Sean about this because we've talked about it in the past, uh, not on a podcast or anything, but Sean, you watched a lot of Jerry Kill offense before he came to Rutgers and you said you weren't surprised with how this season's going. What kind of went into that statement?
2: Uh you know, uh, you know obviously watching Minnesota, uh the you know, that Big Ten West on um, traditional Big Ten, uh, you know, they really like to control games I forgot what year it was um maybe it was two years ago and Minnesota was ranked in the top 15 they they hosted uh, Ohio State uh, I think that was a game actually no it wasn't a game JT Barrett broke an ankle but you know they they kept it competitive for most of the game and that and that Minnesota Gophers team was you know based around uh, having strong running backs multiple bats that could you know carry the load you know uh and a decent defense but would keep the ball out of the hands of, of the more uh, explosive offensive teams, you know, and would slow the game down and grind the game down. And then obviously, Coach Kill spent time last year with Bill Snyder at uh, Kansas State. And, you know, he's even mentioned that this offense that he's putting together at Rutgers is, you know, in his hopes to be a hybrid of what he's done in the past uh, at Minnesota, at Northern Illinois, and then what he learned from his time at, uh, at Kansas State. And that's another team playing in that, that wild Big 12 where everyone's trying to put up 70 points a game. Kansas State, you know, methodical, control the clock, run the football, you know, hopefully have a quarterback that's athletic enough where he's a threat on the ground as well and, you know, slow the game down. So that's, you know, hearing those two offensive philosophies from what I've seen, that's kind of what I thought um, to expect this year from Jerry Killen offense.
0: Sean, with your knowledge of the recruiting classes, players on the squad, players coming in, how long do you think it's going to take for Jerry to put together an offense that he'll be proud to put on the field?
2: You know, I, I haven't looked at you know, where he recruited Minnesota-wise in terms of the rankings. But, you know, from what I know, it seems like at least out wide that he has more athletes and, and, you know, some of the younger guys, better athletes uh, than he brought in at Minnesota. Um, You know, offensive line, the talent they have, you know, in the wings, the Micah Clarks and Sam uh, it's it's going in that direction as well, you know, but it's a matter of, you know, maybe getting the quarterback play stabilized as well. And they're not, uh, it wasn't a dual-threat offense to the extent of Ohio State, where your quarterback may run it twenty-eight times a game. But the the quarterback Mitch Leidner, who I watched a lot there, he he was a threat. Uh, even Philip Nelson, before he almost you know, ended up at Rutgers, was a threat to move the ball on the ground. And at least with Bowling in there, you know, teams, you know, you have to respect it. But they weren't expecting to break off a run. Um, you know, you may see something better this week if if Gio or John Lewis gets the nod, because I think Illinois had to at least respect the threat of one of those two guys, you know, keeping a hand off and taking outside
0: on a zone read. Gentlemen, I'd like to thank you so much for joining us on the Scarlet Nation podcast. I'd like to thank everyone for listening. We truly value you being part of the scarletnation.com community. Encourage you to come by often. Don't be a stranger on the message boards. We'd love to talk to you. And until next time, thank you so much for listening to the Scarlet Nation podcast.